So let's jump into our passage this week in Galatians. Joel led us off last week uh, with Galatians 1 and 2 kind of giving us this really good overview and context of what is happening in the book of Galatians. Just for a refresher, I will tell you that basically the idea is Paul is writing a church that, that to, to people in a church that he and Barnabas had started on their missionary journey. And Paul is, uh, is basically kind of accusing them of, of going with a, no, a new gospel. He's saying, like, you're not just believing, you're not just going with the gospel that was preached to you. You're trying to add these extra things into it. Because the people from the Jewish background were saying, you need to be circumcised, and you need to do this, and you need to do that. And Paul is saying, that's not the gospel that was preached. The gospel that was preached was Jesus and Jesus alone, not Jesus plus, Joel said last week, okay? So Paul is confronting the church, and he's confronting the Jewish leaders. In fact, he tells a story of confronting Peter, uh, because Peter is acting like he can't you know, uh, be with these Gentile believers and eat with them. And he's saying, Peter, no, 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 that is, that is not what we said. Okay. We said the gospel is Jesus. If we believe Jesus, you're a part of the family and Jesus only. And so Paul has some strong words here because as Joel said last week, like this is something to get a little bit, um, like worked up about because it's about the gospel. Okay. Some things in life we don't really need to get worked up about, but Paul here is, is trying to, to, to secure their identity in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so there's reason for him to be a little worked up. So as we jump in, we're going to be in Galatians three verses one through 14, but I want to pray again, really quick. Um, Jesus, we just pray that you would speak this morning that you would make much of yourself, that you would draw our attention to you, that you would use your words and the power of your spirit to translate those words to our hearts this morning. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so I wanna read this whole passage. Could we, could we stand up? Um, just in honor of the word of God and the word of scripture, if you are able, um, and let's, you can follow along on the screen. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. 
He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You can have a seat. All right, there's a lot in this passage. Um, and Paul starts out with some really strong words for the believers in Galatia. If you want to put that first slide up there, Tim, he's, he's saying to them, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's coming at them pretty strong and he's feeling... He's feeling a little worked up, but there's a reason for it. So when I read this passage, it talks about all that you've experienced. Is all that in vain? So I thought, okay, let's see where, what, what all took place. What's the backstory to this? So it's helpful to know if you're interested. If you turn, um, you know, sometime during the week, if you want to read this, I'm just going to give the highlights. But in Acts chapter 13 and 14, we see Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey in these uh, four, there's four cities where they share the gospel in this province called Galatia. So the first city, I'm going to give you a rundown. The first city, Paul and Barnabas go, they get the opportunity to share the gospel um, in the synagogue, and the people's response are, they're just begging to hear it again. They, they, the next week, they invite them back, and it says nearly all of the city came out to hear what Paul and Barnabas had to say. The Gentiles, it says, which, you know, we have the Jews over here who are born, you know, in this heritage from the line of, you know, Abraham and Moses and David and all those people. But then we have Gentiles who are everybody other than Jews. And Paul has been sent to the Gentiles to tell them that the gospel is for them too. So it says the Gentiles are rejoicing and glorifying God. They're continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So things are like going awesome. People are turning out, they're coming to, to know Jesus, responding to the gospel. Well, then they meet some opposition, which often happens in the book of Acts. So a crowd gets stirred up of people that, that want to stay in kind of the Jewish ways and don't want to see the Gentiles come to the faith. And so they drive Paul and Barnabas out of that city. So they go to the next city. Same thing happens. People respond. We hear that God is granting them signs and wonders. Uh, the Gentiles are responding to the gospel. The opposition comes again and drives them out of that city. So they go to a third city, and the third and fourth city are kind of like really close together. They're, they're, they're uh, twin cities, I guess. And, and what they see there is a lame man is healed, like right at the beginning. Like they're walking through the city. There's a man who is lame. Paul um, prays for him. He's healed. The people want to make Paul and Barnabas into like gods and worship them. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Um, and then the same opposition comes from the other town and they actually stone Paul and Barnabas. Um, and not just like a couple rocks, like they actually think Paul is dead, okay? It says they have to drag him out of the city and they left him for dead. And then the believers gather around Paul and then Paul miraculously like gets up and walks away. Like amazing. So, so, okay, so that's the story. And you can see why Paul is a little bit worked up here. He said, we've been through all that, all that. And now you're trying to trade that for this like inferior thing where you have to believe that and do some of these other things to like get in the club. Okay, so Paul is worked up and he's feeling some type of way, okay? But I, most of this message, I'm gonna put, we, I wanna put ourselves in the, in the shoes of the Gentile believers who are hearing this message. But just for a moment, I want us to put ourselves in Paul's shoes, okay? Because his zeal is beautiful. Like he is fighting for territory that the Lord has won. 
Maybe you can identify with this as, you know, somebody who has like walked with somebody who came into the faith and then things got messy and it was difficult, as is often the case. Um, and, and you feel like I have to fight for that territory that God has won. Well, that's where Paul's at right now. He is fighting for what God has given him and for fighting for the people that God has entrusted to him. So now let's go back up to the first five verses um, because we see in these five verses, these questions start coming from Paul, okay? And these questions kind of made me think of a pop culture reference, okay? So um, if you guys remember, there was a meme that kind of started going around it in, in mid-2020. Um, Tim, there's going to be some slides up there. So it was, it was how it started and how it's going, okay? I don't know if you saw these, okay? The whole thing was... <laughs> The whole thing was we went into 2020 thinking, oh, this is the year, 2020 vision, Jesus, 2020 vision. And then we got wrecked by the pandemic. All right, so next slide, next slide. Sorry, uh, Sophia Vergara or whatever her name is. This is not a flattering picture. Okay, next one, we won't, we won't. Okay, this is, has anybody ever tried one of those, uh, you know, make, make the cake the way that they do it on Instagram? Okay. All right, this is, this is these questions, and not, you know, in a way more honest and pointed way, remind me of, you know, how, it's, how it started and now how it's going, okay? So this is what Paul says to these people. You can read those verses again, but I wanted to paraphrase a, a few of these questions. So starting in verse 2, and the paraphrase is on the screen, Paul kind of says, how did you receive the Spirit? Did you work for Him? Did you like earn him and drum up the spirit in you because of all the good things you did? No. He says you simply believed what you heard. You believed the gospel message. Next question, he says, okay, so you started with the spirit that you didn't earn or work for. Are you now trying to finish by your own works? So you can read that word finish as in, are you trying to grow or are you trying to complete yourself? by your own works, okay? So God freely gave you the spirit just because you believed, and now you're gonna make yourself better? Really? Um, next one, he says, have you experienced all this in vain, okay? Now, remember the backstory. And this word experience is kind of a really broad word. It's like everything you've been through. Now, it might also refer to everything you've suffered. Did you suffer? Did I almost die in front of you in vain? Um, and, and, then he, and then he says, the last question is, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, the things you do, or is it by believing what you heard, the gospel? And I can hear Paul saying, come on, guys, come on. Like, th this, is how, this is how it works, okay? So now he introduces a new figure into this story, and this figure means something, okay? So in verse 6, he says, consider Abraham. All right, so a little bit of backstory here. Abraham's kind of a big deal in the Jewish faith, okay? You, anybody ever done the song, Father Abraham had many sons? Oh my gosh, I haven't done that in so long, and it's a good thing, okay? Um, so you have in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is everything before Jesus in the Bible. So it starts with Genesis. You have the story of creation. You have Adam and Eve. You get, um, you know, they, they sin and fall, and then the world gets worse, and so God destroys everything with a flood, and you have Noah, and then 
um, and then soon after that, we hear in, in, in um, chapter 12 of Genesis, we have Abraham. So God says to Abraham in Genesis 12, basically, go to a country I'll show you, okay? I'll let you know on the way. You just believe me and follow me, and I will make you a great nation. So what does Abraham do? He says, okay, like somehow, like, I don't know how God revealed himself to him, but Abraham was convinced. He believed God, it says, okay, and we, we, we're going to get to this verse here in a second. He believes God, and then he goes, and he just starts out on this journey, and he's following God and, and following where God wants him to go. And then three chapters later, in Genesis 15, God gives Abraham a vision. And after this vision, Abraham says, okay, God, I, I believe you, but you said you were going to make me a great nation. I'm an old man. I don't have any kids. How are you going to do this? All right. And so God says, all right, I hear you. All right. He's, he's, he's got like, he's, he's hearing Abraham. He says, I'm going to solidify this relationship with you. All right. I'm going to make these promises through what we call a covenant. So he makes this covenant with Abraham. Think like marriage covenant. This is a promise, all right? And this is from God, not a human. So God says, I covenant to come through on this promise for you. And, Mo and Abraham's like, all right, let's do it. So we, we read this verse in Galatians. Paul is actually quoting Genesis chapter 15 that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when I want to make one distinction here. Every time I wrote on my notes, believed God, it wanted me to write believed in God. It's not grammatic, grammatically correct, but the commentaries were pointing out there's a reason for that because believing in God or believing that there is a God is one thing, but believing God is a whole other thing, okay? So like the demons believe there is a God, but if we believe God, we do what he says. We follow his word, okay? So important distinction. And then this phrase, was it was credited to him as righteousness. So this is a phrase that is conferring a legal status on someone, on Abraham in this case. Um, God is treating Abraham as actually righteous and free from condemnation even though he's still actually unrighteous in his heart and behavior. It doesn't take long to see Abraham still messes up after this verse, but because he believed God, before God, he is justified. Like that word just means it's just as if he hasn't sinned because God sees him as righteous because of his faith. And that's important to point out. It's his faith, not anything he did. All right, he went out on the journey because he believed God. But the first thing that came was his faith. It does not say that it's Abraham's faithfulness that gets credited as righteousness. It's his faith that gets credited as righteousness. And by way of Abraham and his faith, the promise, the covenant that God made was that all nations, read the word Gentiles, because that's gonna matter for us, all nations would be blessed. And it was, God's, it was always God's plan to make a new multi-ethnic family of all nations. So Paul is trying to root in these people this gospel identity, so much so he calls them children of Abraham. It's interesting in the passage in Acts when he's first going to the churches, he calls them sons of Abraham. Like this is an important part that Paul is trying to incorporate into their identity. So 
the point is they are part, these Gentiles are part of the family, not because of the works that they can do, but just like Abraham, it's because they believe God. All right? Now, we're still in the Old Testament history lesson because there's one other person that's really important, Moses. Who's heard of Moses? Anybody see Prince of Egypt? Okay? All right. So Moses comes along after Abraham, and through Moses comes the law. So we start talking about the works of the law. And here's why this is important. Moses isn't mentioned, but whenever you hear the works of the law or the law, people are thinking of Moses, okay? So Abraham is the, is the first one that God is kind of dealing with and makes this covenant with. And then he has 12 sons. Look at, look at God, okay? I didn't have any sons, now I have 12. All right? And then, um, and then he, he dies, but then the people, the people of Israel, the 12 tribes, get taken into exile into Egypt. And then Moses comes along. You guys know the story maybe. Moses comes along and delivers the people from, uh, from the hand of Pharaoh. And they go out and they're setting out for the promised land. But because of their unbelief, interesting here to note, like the opposite, Abraham believes the people of Israel, they don't believe. And so they're stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. So while they're in the wilderness... God gives Moses the law as this set of rules to live by, okay? And for hundreds of years, the Jews have sought to live as closely to the law as they possibly can. The general idea is if you live by the law, you are holy and you're close to God. But Paul's point in this argument is going to be that nobody is capable of doing that altogether perfectly. So we, can tr we have this contrast. We have Abraham... The promise came to him by way of faith and just believing in what God said and believing God and taking him at his word. And you have Moses over here who, I'm, I'm sure Moses had some faith too, but the, but the contrast is that through Moses came the law. And that, the, and that when you try to live by the works of the law, it doesn't work. All right, so Paul is putting this together. So look with me at verse 10, okay? I think it'll be on the screen. So Paul says, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So Paul is not saying, okay, Paul is not saying that the law is bad or that it should be abolished. But what he's, he's contrasting here, the reliance on faith versus the reliance on works. And what he does is he's like this verse. If you were a, a Jewish uh, background believer or if you were in this kind of movement, verse 10 would actually shock you. OK, he's actually flipping the law. They had thought that living by the law was the way to God and the way to holiness. But Paul says um, it's actually that's the way to the curse. He, he turns it all the way upside down because you're relying on your own works to get you there, and that's not going to do it, okay? In the coming weeks of this series, we're going to talk about what the purpose of the law is because there's a purpose. Paul is not throwing it out. He's simply pointing out you cannot rely on this thing because you cannot rely on yourself. You have no power to live it out perfectly, okay? Paul's argument in a, in a nutshell is this. The only way you get justified by the law is if you keep it perfectly. But nobody can do that, 
so you're cursed because you will most certainly break the law and there's only one way to stand justified before God and that's just like Abraham did that's through faith okay and 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 how can we he then answers the question how can we be justified through faith look at verse 13 it says it's not up there except for in the beginning but it says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by get this becoming a curse for us okay Christ became a curse for us okay let that sink in for a second all right Jesus became the curse he didn't put on the curse like he puts on a shirt, okay, and then takes it off later, okay? He became the curse, and then he took it to the grave, and he killed that thing, okay? Victory, right? We were, we were singing it today. We were, all right, so, but, but then the opposite is true then, okay? If, if Christ became the curse, then we get to become righteous. It's not like this shirt that I can take off, the, like, oh, if I mess up and get the shirt dirty, I'm not righteous anymore. It's that we become righteous in the eyes of God. <clears throat> so what is Paul saying to the Gentiles? All right, go back to his questions. This is, this is you know, paraphrase of Paul. He's saying this, you receive the Spirit because you believed. You went through all this stuff because you believed. You saw miracles and wonders happen among you because you believed. And now what, what in the world are you doing? He, he might have he said another word. I don't know. Who bewitched you? I don't know if that was a cuss word in the day. I don't know. Anyway, he says, what in the world are you doing? You're trading all that for a curse to try to work yourself to the next level or work yourself into the club or work yourself into favor with God or whatever it is. Fill in the blank. And he says that's a cursed road, not the road to blessing. Hear this. The way the Spirit entered your life should be the same way the Spirit advances in your life. Okay? There's this, there's this quote I read that reiterates this point that I want you to see on the screen. I separated it into two parts because I want to look at both, both sides of it. Okay? This is a pastor um, that was quoted in this commentary. He said, see, somewhere along the way, we got the idea that we are saved by the gospel, but then we grow by applying biblical principles to every area of life. Now, hold it there. That sounds really good, okay? But what that is like is like, okay, God saved me. I'm saved. Now I've got to get better. So I look at like, okay, here's this principle. I'm going to plug that into this part of my life. I'm going to try, okay, oh, I shouldn't be angry. So let me try not to be angry. Um, I should I should do this more. So let me try to figure out how to fit that into my schedule. All right. So you're just you're you're trying to plug in the principles, but you're doing it all on your own. Okay. So the next half of the quote. This is the this is the secret. We are not just saved by the gospel. We grow by applying the gospel to every area of our life, okay? It's the gospel that saves us, and it's the gospel that grows us, okay? So you might have heard the words, uh, you know, say, we, we talk a lot about being saved. Sometimes we talk about being sanctified. That's just this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. So we're saved by the gospel. We're sanctified by the gospel. We grow by the gospel. And what is the gospel? Joel pointed it out last week. The gospel is Jesus, 
It is the good news that we have a relationship with Jesus and Jesus has the power to transform us. The gospel is a person. And this is what Paul is saying, okay? The answer's not, I was saved by believing in God, now I have to fix myself, or I was saved by believing in Jesus, now I have to make sure I do this, this, and this so that God loved me and God, other people really love me. I was saved by believing in God, now I have to be accepted by this group, so I gotta make sure I do all the extra Christian stuff, like prayer meetings and service projects and giving to this and giving to that, and pretty soon all I'm trying to do is add to my salvation with all these things that I I can do. But the answer is I was saved by believing in Jesus. Now I just continue believing him. <clears throat> I continue giving every part of my life to Jesus. I continue inviting Jesus into the ugly places in my life. I continue asking Jesus to meet the deepest longings of my soul. I continue to look at my brokenness and ask Jesus to come bring his healing power there. I continue to keep asking Jesus, what's next? And will you lead me there? All right, and if I had a main point for this morning, it's summed up in this. I progress in my faith with every invitation for Jesus to come, all right? Um, I, was, I, was, I was praying about this and asking the Lord for like a picture. Um, and, and he brought to mind a passage of scripture and, and a story from this summer. If I haven't got to say it you know, to every one of you, sabbatical was awesome. Um, and so I'm really thankful for the sabbatical time this summer. And one of the highlights was that Galfua and I got to go. Um, we, we, were, we were away for our kids for seven days. That was a highlight in and of itself, okay? Um, I, I love my kids, but... <laughs> But when you spend a week with your wife without your kids, um, it's, a, it's a highlight. But for the majority of that time, we were at this spiritual retreat center. And we had a spiritual director, which if you don't know, that's somebody that just like asks good questions and listens for where God is at work in your life. And you're able to process some of that. And as we spent time with Jesus, one of the things that he really um, put put on my heart kind of deep and then confirmed it even in some of our conversation with the spiritual director was this this verse in Revelation 3.20 that you're probably familiar with it. Um, and there's a picture uh, on the screen. I think I want to go back to that point in just a second, Tim, but let's go to the picture. So um, Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Um, I don't want to flub it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So we have this picture. I had this picture this summer of just, it, Jesus was saying, look, I'm right here at the door, okay? I'm here at the door like all throughout your day. And all you have to do is open it up and invite me in. Just keep inviting. Invite me to dinner. Invite me to healing. Invite me to to fill all the needs for satisfaction and significance inside of you. In, invite me into like that meeting you have like going on at two o'clock. Invite me into the time with your kids. Like just invite me, invite me. And, and our, our mess, the, the point I have this morning is we progress in our faith. We grow in our faith. We are completed in our faith with every invitation for Jesus to come. That is the Christian life. That's the gospel. We get to invite Jesus. He's standing at the door and knocking. 
And for some reason this morning, I, I heard this phrase, and this is kind of like, a, a, like a, the other side of the coin here, but I just want to mention it because it might be for you. I, uh, um, this morning, I just heard the words, Jesus also isn't a supplement, okay? So while we're, saying, while we're saying that Jesus is everything and you don't have to add to him, I think there's some of us that may say, I have this, 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 and I add Jesus in for like my contentment. You know, like he's like the supplemental thing that if these things don't work out, maybe, or, or I think I need all of these things. Like, like maybe there's a lot of different ways to get to God and I need to just check my bases and I need all of them. So Jesus is kind of like my supplementary like add-on service um, and and that's not the way it is the gospel is Jesus only Jesus for everything that we need so I really like to be practical so as I kind of wind it down here um, if you know me it's like I like concrete I like okay so what does that mean okay so what does that mean for a particular sin in my life all right the gospel is not let me come up with some strategies to minimize my anger or at least find a way to blow it all off that doesn't get me in trouble, okay? The gospel instead for that particular sin is Jesus, meet me in this place of my anger. I invite you even into like that angry place. And what I need, Lord, is for you to show me the source. Where have I looked to something else to satisfy me instead of looking for fulfillment completely in you. Because see, anger happens when there's something underlying that. We get mad because something we were looking to for satisfaction or fulfillment doesn't work out, and so we get mad. Or somebody gets in the way of that, and we get mad. So the solution isn't, let me figure out my, my, the way to minimize my anger. It's Jesus, come into this place of anger. Show me what's going on. Show me how to put you at the center, okay? What does it mean for my life's deepest dreams? The gospel is not, if I don't make this happen, it's not gonna happen, okay? The gospel instead is, Lord, I just submit, I surrender my future to you. Come and walk with me. Show me where you want me to go. Help me to see where you're at work, where the grace is, go where the grace is. But we're just inviting the Lord into our life, not like it's all resting on our shoulders to make everything happen. What does it mean for old wounds? The gospel is not, that shouldn't hurt me anymore because I'm saved now, okay? The gospel is, Jesus, you're the healer of old wounds. Come, I invite you, put your hand on that part of me and bring deep healing. And then, you know, one last example, what does it mean for evangelism and mission? The gospel is not, I can't stop till I've changed the world, okay? It's not like figuring out like, oh, I've got to make this person right, and I've got to fix this issue, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this right. The gospel is Jesus. Walk with me. Walk with me. Wherever, Wherever you're sending me, I'll go. Just like Abraham, I believe, and Lord, send me the people that you want, that you're pursuing, and keep my eyes open. Jesus, just be with me. Help me, Jesus. Help me. That's the gospel. And, and here's the deal. We will have nothing to give away to people anyway if we don't understand this gospel for ourselves. If we haven't learned how to be rooted in who we are in Jesus, if we haven't learned that, uh, to grow by way of the gospel, then all that we're going to give other people is sin management and do better at this and do better at that. That's, but we're not giving them the gospel, okay? And here's the secret, okay? Look with me up at, at the very beginning in verse 1. Okay, here's, 
Here, here's a, a piece of this that we, we didn't pay attention to yet, how Paul started, okay? Paul says in the second half of verse one, he says, he's reminding them, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now that word portrayed is, get the idea of a, like a portrait, okay? Paul is saying, when we came to you in those, in those four cities that I mentioned earlier, we clearly gave you this picture. We, I was an artist and painted the picture of Jesus and Jesus crucified before you. That's what we preach. We preach Jesus and Jesus crucified, and you need to go back to that picture of Jesus on the cross. You need to go back to the cross and root yourself in, in the fact that Jesus became that curse for you. So you don't have to add everything else into your gospel. You don't have to work for it. You just get to receive that gospel identity, that love of the Father, that righteousness that he puts deep within us. And here's the deal. Um, it's not just Jesus at the beginning, okay? I think, you know, Joel actually brought this verse up, you know, not too long ago, this, this question. You know, did you, did you start by the Spirit? And now you're trying to do all this by your own human effort. See, that's human nature, okay? It is our human nature that has to die that says, okay, Jesus did all these good things for me, but now I got to work for it, okay? That's not it. We don't have to complete ourselves by accomplishing some set of achievements. But, but, but here's what happens. We, we get saved. We decide to follow Jesus. But then every day after that, we need to get saved again, okay? We need to keep dying to ourselves. We keep coming to Jesus. I believe you today, Jesus. Show me what's next. I believe you today, Jesus. I need you to heal this place in me. I, believe, I, I need your salvation today, Jesus. Would you come into this broken situation? It's a daily kind of thing. And if you feel yourself trying to live this life and it just feels like you're living that curse that Paul's talking about like you cannot make this happen every time you try harder you're just met with opposition or every time that you try to live it out it doesn't work out that way that's what Paul is talking about it's the curse of the works of the law you cannot do it you we just get to just keep inviting Jesus into every single thing so I know we're going to do baby dedication in just a second. So I'm going to finish like this, all right? Paul started with some questions. I'm going to end with some questions. And something I learned from, like, time hanging out with a spiritual director this summer was you don't have to answer these questions right now, okay? These can be what we call lingering questions. And that's even better because, if, because when we let these things, like, dig into us and we let God minister in, in these questions then he brings like the deeper stuff up and brings the deeper change. So there's going to be six questions. I'm just going to read them and then I'm going to turn the mic over. But I just encourage you if, you, if one of these like hits you and you're like, oh, that's a question I need to ask myself. Or that's something that I would love to keep in front of myself on a regular basis. Then I just encourage you like jot it down or take a picture of the slide or whatever. But here are our lingering questions as we wrap up this morning. Did I start with surrender, but now I feel like I have to grow by grit? What do I do when I see sin in my life? Do I ignore it, stuff it, try to manage it? Have I invited Jesus into the dreams of my life, or am I constantly striving for significance? 
Am I trying to complete myself by attaining some set of achievements? Am I laboring to make myself acceptable to God? Am I remembering the cross and living in the light of Jesus' sacrifice? Um, I had that picture of, I said that was going to be it, but I remembered something. I had that picture of Jesus standing at the door knocking. I felt like Jesus gave me one other picture this morning. Um, I, we were in worship, and I was like holding Myla, and she was just like, you know, embracing me, and I was singing, and I just thought, Jesus, this is a picture. <laughs> this is a picture of what it means. Like, we're inviting you in, like you're standing at the door, and we're inviting you, but we are like this little child who has just cast herself on me. That's who we are with you. The gospel is us just coming to Jesus as a child and saying, Jesus, carry me. Jesus, hold me. Jesus, be with me. Um, so that's it.